Make these words more than words and give me the spirit of Jesus. In your most holy name we pray. Amen. Take courage, my soul, and let us journey on. For the night is dark, and I am so far from home. But praise be to God, the morning light appears. The storm is passing over. The storm is passing over, the storm is passing over, hallelujah. This song was going around and around in my head this week as I thought about the passages we were going to consider for this morning. Initially, I was so excited that I would be preaching this Sunday only days after starting here at St. Edmund's. Excited to share the good news of God in Christ Jesus with all of you. And then I took a look at the gospel appointed for today. Plagues, famines, and yes, even the word insurrection found its way into our gospel this morning. Paul's letter is marginally more hopeful, as it seemed that he was scolding the Thessalonians for being lazy. I initially said, what? And then I took a big breath, and I started to ask some questions. You know, that is permissible in our tradition, by the way. It's okay to ask hard questions. It's okay to wrestle with the Bible. It's in our Anglican DNA. We don't have to check our brains at the door. So what of these apocalyptic images and false prophets, for example? What is the context of these Thessalonians? And what might this mean for us? We can dig in. We can go deep. And God willing, we can start to place some of what we learn into the actual reality in our lives. Let's start by digging into the Old Testament reading from the prophet Isaiah. And let's think about this reading as our big picture. It says this, for I am about to create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. Goes on to say, no more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. And then this vision, it gets specific and concrete. Houses are built and vineyards are planted and all reap the blessings of their labor without disappointment or calamity. It 
It's really not otherworldly. It's not in a faraway place. It's right here on our planet. And the wolf and the lamb, they shall feed together. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the big picture. God's plan for our world, God's promise. And it's woven together by an idea, a fancy word, one I like a lot. It's called eschatology. Makes you sound very smart. But what it means is Jesus came into the world to make all things new, giving us a glimpse of what's to come. We live somewhere in between, in the now and in the not yet. We see glimpses of this new creation and our place in God's work. Our gospel reading seems to have a very different tone from our Old Testament reading. By the time Luke writes this gospel, the temple has actually already been destroyed, and Jesus has already been proven to be a reliable source in his predictions. These images are ominous and frightening. The reading begins with the disciples in awe over the beauty of the temple. The temple was commissioned by Herod the Great and took 80 years to complete, sparing no expense. It was adorned with marble and tapestry and gold and precious stones throughout. And as the disciples are ooing and awing over the temple and its magnificence, Jesus tells them that the day will come when the temple will be destroyed. The disciples, shook by this, ask for a sign. In response, Jesus warns them of false prophets, especially those who make claims in his name. Well, in truth, every generation has false prophets, and every generation has claimed that the end of time ends with them. A very wise woman, my mother actually, used to say, the sure sign of a false prophet is anyone who claims to know God's timetable and then invokes the name of Jesus. Every age, it has its own wars and natural disasters, but you know what? That isn't the point of this gospel. The point is that God remains present in all of it. Jesus says, even in the times of persecution, do not plan your defense, but rely on God to give you the words. As American Christians, maybe we don't think about persecution a whole lot. But yesterday at convention, we heard from the Anglican Archbishop of Jerusalem, who moves past more checkpoints, and more barbed wire to see his congregations than any place on the globe. Persecution is real for many of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Jesus says to them and to the people of that time, 
not to plan what you're going to say, but wait for God to give you the words, give you the wisdom, give you the wisdom at your most vulnerable. Now, this doesn't require us to understand why bad things happen to good people. It only requires that we trust God to be with us, whatever comes. That by our endurance, we will indeed gain our souls, as our gospel says. All of it, famines, plagues, persecution, bad things, yes, they will happen. Jesus never promised that following him would be easy. But Jesus does say, not a hair of your head will perish, and your souls will be saved. Theologian Jack Ludbaum says this, there is no denying that elements of radical suffering still exist in our world. However, we are given a foretaste of the new heavens and earth through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Created by God, we're given gifts and abilities, and we're invited to participate in the ongoing formation of the new Jerusalem for all children of God, whereby we can work to diminish suffering. In ancient times, this work was closely tied to radical hospitality, to travelers and strangers. They were to be offered food and protection. These strict codes even meant offering hospitality to enemies, and no payment was accepted in return. For these early Christian communities, that meant that anyone able should contribute to work for the good of the community, to care for those who are not only strangers, but to be like Jesus and also care for the poor, the sick, and the vulnerable. This is the world of the Thessalonians. And Paul asks them, do not be weary in doing what is right. Now this isn't about shaming those unable to work. It's about being a community prepared to be Jesus in the world. And I have to tell you, I have seen a community ready to be Jesus in the world here in just my first few weeks at St. Edmund's. I saw on my first visit back in October an unhoused man in hospital scrubs who was offered food and conversation during coffee hour. He was treated with dignity and kindness. I saw it a few weeks ago when the Holy Ghost Kitchen was preparing food for those in need. And I saw it during chapel when our preschool children, as they understood instinctually the joy of worship and the way they responded to being told that they were especially loved by God and that they are a light in our world. At three and four, they were filled with wonder and purpose, part of God's plan for the world, good medicine for a cynical and suffering planet. Let's continue to listen to what the Spirit is calling us to do at St. Edmund's. Let's discern the gifts that are present 
in this place. I am so grateful to be a witness to your work, to be part of God's dream for our world with you. As Paul says to the Thessalonians, do not grow grow weary in doing what is right. Trust that God has a plan to create a new heaven and a new earth, and you are part of that plan. Each and every one of you is made in the image of the Creator, wired for connection to our Creator, made for joy and for purpose, made to be part of a new heaven and a new earth. Whatever challenges await us, dangers, uncertainties, God has promised to be with us, to see us through to the other side. And that is good news indeed. The storm is passing over. The storm is passing over. The storm is passing over. Hallelujah. 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 The storm is passing over, the storm is passing over, the storm is passing over.